Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 646 with Vision Lakiani. Vision has some big ideas associated with how to make work more enjoyable, how to experience more awesomeness, so much good stuff. So you'll learn, one, how the most successful people find bliss in their work, two, how to keep stress from phasing you, and three, why hustling can hurt your career. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F646. That's awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP646. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to join the Gold Nugget email list. You get summary insights from this episode with Vision, as well as access to the vault of all those summaries at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, that is the gold nuggets. Those are called. Now, here's Vision's story. Vision Lakiani is one of today's most influential minds in the fields of personal growth and human consciousness. He's the founder and CEO of Mind Valley and behind several top ranking health and wellness apps. He has two New York Times bestselling books, including The Code of the Extraordinary Mind and The Buddha and the Badass. With an incredible passion and drive to unite humanity and challenge the status quo, he has built a movement of growth seekers spanning across 190 countries, engaging more than 15 million followers on social media and nearly half a million students online each year. Big thanks to Vision for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Vision. Vision, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thank you for having me. Well, I, I'm so excited to dig into your wisdom. And, and first, tell us about A-Fest. It seems like the coolest thing. I mean, I want to hear the story <laughs> as to how it came about and what goes down there. Well, okay, firstly, for those of you listening, A-Fest, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that word. It's A-F-E-S-T. It's a festival I created 10 years ago because I wanted to be able to meet fascinating people, hang out in paradise locations and grow my network. Back then I was, I was just starting out my career. I was a kid in Malaysia and I had bigger dreams than my tiny little country. Now, obviously there's no point talking about A-Fest because like any other festival, it shut down for two years because of COVID. It's devastating. I miss mm -hmm. it, but it'll be back next year in 2022. And what's the ACF for? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I'm embarrassed to say so. <laughs> so the very first AFAS started because I was fascinated by surfing. I sucked as a surfer. And you know, in surf lingo, there's that word, awesome dude. 
So it stood for Awesomeness Fest because the very mm-hmm. first one happened at Witches Rock in Costa Rica, which is a famous surfing site. And uh, I didn't know there'd be 15 more of them all around the world, but the word awesome stuck to it. Everyone got free surfing lessons when they showed up. And then when we realized that you couldn't build a festival around the concept of surfing, the awesome, and it just became a fest. Mm-hmm. Well, we love awesome here at How to Be Awesome at Your Job. So that's, that's kind of why I zeroed in on this one. And uh, I, I think awesomeness is a great thing that needs to be celebrated via festivals. And so I look forward to the day that that and other awesome events uh, return to the world. And I want to dig into more about feeling awesome versus miserable at work. You've got some perspectives here. Can, can you kick us off by maybe setting some foundational principles? Like what's missing from our work lives? Rather than what's missing from our work life, let's talk about a different concept. And then it becomes evident what is missing. Okay, so this whole podcast is about how to be awesome. Now, I gave a speech once in Calgary, and the speech was called the theory of awesomeness. I love that word. Now, Mm -hmm. the theory of awesomeness suggested this. It suggested that there is a state, and I called it, back then I called it the state of awesomeness, right? But the word awesome in 2008 meant this for me. It meant being in a state of mind where there were two ingredients in your life. Now, the first ingredient is or, is or towards a future vision. That means there is something that excites you, that tickles you, that gnaws at you, that makes you want to build, to create, to produce, and you cannot wait to get this out to the world. So that's the first lever. But there's a second lever, and that second lever is as you're building, as you're creating, you are not pushing forward your happiness. In other words, your happiness, your bliss, your feelings of magic and being in the flow do not come from you hitting your goal. They come from you moving towards your goal. In short, the or is not towards the end goal, but the or is the journey. Now, when you Mm -hmm. combine both of these together, what happens is you have a really wonderful state of human existence. You have a vision pulling you forward but you also have bliss in the present. This is the ultimate state of human existence. It is to have visions that pull us forward, but to be blissful in the now. It is the merger of your future and your present. It is why so many great men and women across history spoke about life in these esoteric terms. For example, Bruce Lee said, the point of a goal is often not to hit the goal, The goal is simply a force of direction. And then there's this poem by this historical figure. So I'd like to read this out to you guys because it illustrates this point of the dance between vision and bliss. This man wrote in his 82nd year, he wrote this down. I was early thought to work as well as play. My life has been one long happy holiday, full of work, full of play. I dropped the worry on the way. And God was good to me every day. Now, when you listen to that, you know, it sounds like some beautiful farmer, like plowing his field, enjoying the sunshine. Mm -hmm. But that was actually written by John D. Rockefeller. In his 80s, John D. Rockefeller created Standard Oil. He was the richest man of his era, potentially the richest man who ever lived, if you count for, for the value of money back then. That was written 100 years ago. 
But again, John D. Rockefeller doesn't talk about chasing goals. He talks about a life which was one long happy holiday, full of work, full of play. His worry dropped along the way. And this is just further evidence that people who are crushing it at work are not stressed out. They are not facing extreme anxiety. They are dancing this delicate dance between visions pulling them forward and bliss in the present. The dance between the future and the now. This is what I call the curie of awesomeness. And this is the state of awe that I think all of us need to be in. Now, this is what is missing from work. Because if you look at work, we see work as separate from play. We see work as separate from living. And I remember once hearing Richard Branson say this. He was asked, how do you balance life, right? Between work and play. And he said, work, play, to me, it's all the same thing. I just call it living. So this is what I believe is missing mm -hmm. from the way we've been trained to show up at our jobs. Okay. Well, yeah, I'd love some more of that for sure. Tell us, what is the path by which we land there? Because I imagine if you're Richard Branson or John D. Rockefeller or any professional that you, like, they had some issues. I'm sure there's some lawyers saying, hey, we're suing you. <laughs> you know, there's some acquisition targets they wanted to get, but then the, the price was higher than they wanted to pay, whatever. So like, they're, they're playing the business game at a high level and they have disappointments, things that they want to happen that don't happen and things they don't want to happen that, that do happen. So how do we get into this rocking mindset where it's all good? Beautiful question. So to answer that question, particularly what you said, I'm sure they have things that they want to happen that happens. I'm sure they have things that they don't want to happen that happens. I want to share with you a conversation I had with a famous business school professor. His name is Professor Sri Kumar Rao. And Professor Rao used to teach classes at Columbia, at Kellogg, at other famous business schools like London Business School. And there was something really unique about Rao. His classes were not on business. I mean, they were on business. This was an MBA program. But his classes rather explored the art of living. They were called classes on personal mastery. And what Rao did is he would bring in wisdom from ancient sages like Confucius or ancient sages and saints from India. And he would implant this wisdom in the minds of his MBA students. Now, his classes were so popular, there was a line to get in through the door. Students who graduated from his classes would form alumni groups because they would bond so firmly with other students. I sought out Rao as a mentor after I saw a video of him giving a talk on Google. And that video blew my mind. And so I sought him out as a mentor. And as we became friends, I remember one day he came to me and he said, you know, Vision, all of this stuff that American business schools are teaching are bullshit. Now, he didn't actually say bullshit. He's a very polite man. He mm -hmm. used a, a, a far more polite word, I think. But I'm not a polite man. So I think my, my brain changed it. So I said, Rao, what do you mean? And he goes, what they need to teach is consciousness. And I said, but they do teach consciousness. And he goes, no, 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 no. You're confusing consciousness and ethics. Since Enron, all business schools teach business ethics. Consciousness is beyond ethics. And I said, well, do explain. What do you mean by the need to teach consciousness? He said, to be truly conscious, you have to understand one thing. And I said, well, tell me, what is this one thing? Rao went on. He said, now, Rao lives, a, he's a man of Indian origin. He's American. He lives in New York, so, but he speaks in his, his Indian accent. So you can picture this in his Indian accent. He said, business schools need to teach 
that the most important thing is not your business. If your business hits a billion dollars, it doesn't matter. If your business fails, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is, did you grow? If you become a billionaire, I don't care. Did you grow? If you go bankrupt, you shouldn't care. Did you grow? And he said, the point of life is growth. When you make growth the number one thing and you measure everything in, am I better today than I was yesterday? In some way, your life takes on a whole new meaning. Growth has to be the number one goal. But we don't teach that, do we? We teach chase the money, chase the career. And that is the problem with how we are training today's business folks. So that's a very important lesson. Mm -hmm. Growth should be the number one thing. Now, back to the theory of awesomeness, vision and bliss. A core concept of growth is to make yourself better and better at being you. Now, when you make yourself better and better at being you, what happens is that all the bold things that you are seeking to do, they come to you faster. As you grow, your business grows. You've heard that from countless books on personal growth. But the other aspect of growth is mastery of yourself. It's not just becoming better. It's becoming more comfortable in your own head. Now, ma what mastery of self means is being able to navigate the complex ebbs and tides of being human, being able to navigate extreme emotion, being able to deal with anger, but not have anger consume you, go through failure, but not have failure define you, see everything as, is this helping me grow? Now, when you do that, self-mastery plus constantly seeking to become better and better, that is how to be in a state of perpetual awe. Okay, that's awesome in terms of a, the mindset there, in terms of, is this helping me grow? It's all about the growth, whether mm -hmm. I, I hit the goal or I don't hit the goal, it's all good. Well, so then let's, let's talk about some of this emotion self-mastery stuff. So you've got to, we're just going to have to duck some of the naughty words, but, uh, and just say them freely. So, so we can do this. But, uh, so for example, in, in your book, the Buddha and the bad, you talk about how we can master the art of unwithability, mm -hmm. which sounds like something I want <laughs> for, for myself. So we've established some of the foundational ingredients for that. How do we move forward in, in terms of, of really developing, I don't know if you want to call it a skill or a set of skills in the realm of emotional regulation, self-mastery, mm -hmm. so that we get there. Because I imagine, Vishen, if, if, if right now listeners say, okay, I'm, that's my thing. I'm going to say, hey, is this helping me to grow? And I'm making growth my number one thing. Okay, I, I've got that decision mm -hmm. made internally. And yet, <laughs> if a curveball gets thrown my way, I'm probably the first time or two or many perhaps dozens of times, going to be feeling some of the stuff. So how do we take our first steps here? So first, let's set a vision. Remember what I said, right? You must have a vision. You must have a direction pulling you forward. Let me paint a vision of what I mean by self-mastery. And to understand this vision, I want to read you a poem from the Rumi. It's called A Guest House. Now, the poem says this, This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who 
violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. This is the epitome, the epitome of truly being able to have mastery over your emotional states. Our natural state should always be bliss. But this doesn't mean that we push away sadness. This doesn't mean that we don't get annoyed by failure. It means we embrace these emotions. We open our doors to them. We welcome them as guests. We feel them. And then we move beyond them. When you cultivate that, what happens is that you develop what in psychology they sometimes refer as resilience or grit. And this is one of the most incredible things you can have. Even if you look at people like Elon Musk, I once actually asked Elon Musk, like, if I could put you in a blender and distill your essence, what makes you Elon? And he said, you know, I think what makes me who I am. And so he, he answered this in 2013. He said, with my ability to endure extreme pain, I have high tolerance for pain. Now, high tolerance for pain simply means that if you go into the darkness, you embrace it and you move beyond it. Elon can accept his pain and then bounce back. But not everybody can. Many people, they sit in that pain. They make that pain define them. I'm a failure. I suck. Why does this happen to me? But that is not in the, the criteria of truly being able to become awesome at your job or at work. You must see pain as your friend. And if you go through pain, what you want to ask yourself is, is this pain helping me grow? Now it turns out that one of the most powerful ways we grow is true pain. In Zen Buddhism, they call this Kensho moments. Most of us grow through Kensho or grow through pain. If you're listening, ask yourself, how many times has someone broken your heart? But because of that act of your heart breaking, you gained a better understanding of what you want in a relationship. How many times have you been fired from a job? I've been fired twice or been near bankruptcy. I've been there nearly three times, but it led you to greater fiscal responsibility or to finding a job that was even better for you. How many times have you ended up sick or in hospital and it made you realize through growth that you got to take better care of your health? So you see, when you understand, when you make growth your number one goal, that's the first rule, you start to see suffering and pain as Kensho as a lever for growth, as the great educator, as the wake-up call. And that mindset shift is one of the key ingredients of people who are really doing awesome at work. Yes. So I'd love to get your, your view then. When it comes to growth, am I better today than I was yesterday in, in some area? Do you have any particular ways that you love to capture, measure, gauge, quantify that growth. We talked about the business metrics not Mm. mattering so much, but they're so easy to measure. Oh, we could see in the bank account, we could see in the the income statement, the the revenue growth. Well, it's trickier to graph or measure or see or appreciate, you know, can be some of the internal growth things. Yes. How do you recommend we get our arms around that? So firstly, if, if your audience is on Mindvalley, they would already know the answer. Now, on Mindvalley, there's a free tool that you can use. 
It's life.mindvalley.com. It's a 22-minute assessment that has you measure your life from 12 aspects of personal growth. Emotions, for example, is one. What are your persistent emotional states? That's like what the Rumi poem spoke about. Finance and career are two common ones that are very much spoken about in the American education system. But then there's also relationships. There's character. How are you with your habits, with your with your routines, with your values? There is uh, your physical fitness, your spiritual states. There are 12 different things or dimensions of life. And by taking the survey, life.mindvalley.com, you get a score, and you also see where you stand among the hundreds of thousands of people who have also taken the survey. Now, what the survey tells you is where you might be crushing it and where you might be lagging behind. Mm-hmm. And if you, when you see where you're lagging behind, that is what you want to start exploring further. Now, the thing about your career is that you want to specialize. If you're a designer, and you want to increase your hourly rate, you go deeper and deeper and deeper into design. You become the best designer you can be. You don't jump from design to, say, copywriting. But in your personal life, you don't specialize. You have to be balanced. You cannot be crushing it at work, be making millions of dollars, but have a messed up relationship with your family. Nor can you be the ultimate mom or dad, the ultimate family person, but be completely broke. You need balance. There's a certain wheel of life that has to be balanced out. And this is why this assessment that we made free helps you identify where you might be off kilter. Well, so then we talk about different areas of life. And and when we use some of the the words, words like crushing it versus lagging behind in in a a, a performance achievement-y world, kind of bring me up to another point of yours I wanted to, to discuss. And you say that hustle as the path to success is a myth. And we've get some things wrong about hustle, can you set us straight? Absolutely, so, so there's this prevailing theory out there that hard work is what makes you successful. There are many uh, people like Gary Vaynerchuk who speak about hard work, but hard work only applies if you're a lazy bum, okay? And, mm-hmm. and you're just hooked on computer games, then get off your butt and like, and hustle and put in some work. But most of us are not like that. The typical person listening to this podcast isn't some guy hooked on computer games. In that scenario, hard work is actually dangerous. You see, we have to move in life in a balance. And all the most remarkable people who are really successful do not work hard. Jeff Bezos just gave an interview and he said, you know, I I sleep eight hours a day. That's a lot more than the average American. The average American sleeps six hours, 52 minutes a day. Jeff Bezos, eight hours. I've spent a significant time on Necker Island with Richard Branson and observed how how Branson works. He has this beautiful balance between work and then play. He will be on his mobile phone on a hammock. He doesn't have a laptop. Everything is on his mobile phone. And then he'll go swim in the ocean and kite surf for an hour then go back to his mobile phone. It's a beautiful balance. Now, I call that dance the dance of acceleration and navigation. You got to accelerate at your work, but you got to step back. People like Stephen Kotler, who wrote a book on high performance, says that after about three and a half hours, you got to go from acceleration to navigation. And navigation is where you sit back and you think. In my case, I like to relax with a cup of tea and just think or even take a nap or meditate or read a book on poetry or personal growth. Then you go back to work. That 
dance, acceleration and navigation happens in the day, but it also happens in the month. For example, I'm going to be working a 60-hour week this week. But following that, I'm flying to the Maldives to spend eight days in a paradise island in navigation. Now, in navigation, I'm not doing what we think of personal work. I'm writing. I'm journaling. I'm reading books on personal growth. I'm working on new manuscripts. This is how it turns out the top performers work. When they work, they are protective of their physical state. And now science is starting to back this up. For example, uh, Sean Aker, who wrote the book, The Happiness Advantage, cites study after study after study that shows that happiness or positive states directly correlates with work performance. Examples, doctors who are happy are 19% better at diagnosis. Salespeople who are optimistic, 55% better at closing sales. Now, Sean Aker's work has been developed further by a researcher called Shizat Shamain. He wrote a book called Positivity Quotient. And what he did in his studies is he found that the number one factor of high-performing teams is their positive states. The more often the team is in a positive state, the better the performance of the team. And it turns out that to create these positive states, you don't overwork yourself. you got to play that dance. Now, in America, we've created this awful rule that hard work is a part to success. You know who created those rules? The robber barons, the titans, the factory owners who want people slogging away at a factory. It is a lie that hard work results in success. It is an awful lie. It breaks lives. It destroys relationships. It messes up with your health. Work and productivity is the dance between focus, between acceleration, moving towards your goals, and watching your emotional states and putting yourself in the optimal states where you can think, you can create, you can ideate. You use rule, which is one of the main things I mm-hmm. associate with you. Rules. And one of them is, is that, you know, hey, hard work is the key to success. And you'd say, nope. And in fact, adopting that mindset is, is problematic. So can you define for us rules and give us some other examples right. and, and share how we conquer them? So a rule is a, is a word I coined in my first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, 2016. Rules are are a simplification of a complex world. When we look at the world, we create rules to help us navigate this complex world of human dynamics. These rules come from culture, from beliefs, from religion, from our country's government, from our teachers, our preachers, the media. And these rules have a purpose. They help us navigate. We know that when someone greets us to say good morning, we know to say thank you to a waitress. Easy rules. We learn these as kids. But then they are rules that serve not much of a purpose, but are just blindly carried forward from generation to generation to generation. What are rules? Well, hard work makes you successful is a rule. Another example of a rule might be in terms of how we define relationships, how we think about our health, how we think about money. The question is, what may be a rule to one person may not be a rule to another. The way to understand is to look at your life. And Alan Watts, the great philosopher, uh, suggests this exercise. Ask yourself, what do I believe? Because I learned through my own experience is true. Versus, what are my beliefs that I were told is true? Now, when you start putting this together, it's a disruptive exercise. Let me ask you this question. What, what is it that you came to understand is true because you discovered it to be true? Oh, well, there's so many things. <laughs> I, I mean... It is disruptive in that it is so all-encompassing. 
I mean, we could, we could talk about it small and big in terms of like the nature of reality and human existence or, or productivity strategies. So yeah, I, well, right now, I'm just looking at a glass of water right now. And, and so one thing that I believe to be true from I lived experience is that drinking plenty of water feels great in terms of making me feel alive and vital and healthy and smart and sharp. And it's also very easy to forget to do and then wonder, why do I feel so crappy? Right. So, I mean, I don't I, There's just like a visual stimulus. There's a cup of yeah. water there. So, I mean, th that's one thing. Yeah, exactly. That's great, right? Now, here's, now, what is it that you took to be true because you were indoctrinated into it? Yeah, well, I guess this is so small stakes, but while we're on topic of hydration, like someone would say, oh, you need to have eight uh, glasses of water a day. And that's just something that's just repeated. And, and I've sort of dug into the science behind it. It's not really exactly. found on anything. It's like, mm -hmm. how big is the glass? <laughs> Who says eight? What if you're like a, a tiny 80 pound woman or a Mr. Olympia hulking bodybuilding man? Like one size does not fit all. That's silliness. Well, here's a bunch of other rules that most people believe, not because it's real, but because they were told to believe it. One is a woman's place is in the home. Another one might be you need a college degree to get a job. And so there are so many rules that we blindly take on without evidence, simply because that's the way it's always been. Remember that great quote from Steve Jobs? He said, at a certain point in life, you come to realize that everything we think about life is made up by people no smarter than you. And you can change things. You can poke things. You can make things happen. And once you understand that, your life will never be the same again. Yeah, that, that's powerful. And so uh, let's just take, well, hey, you, you've got to get a college degree for to get a good job. I think that that's something that, yeah, that's just sort of in the air. And there's some truth to it in terms of we could look at some stats and show that on, on the whole, people with college degrees earn more than those who don't. Or we could look at many individual job posts that claim must have a bachelor's degree in, in these or related fields. So there's a smidge of evidence that can point you in one direction, although I know of uh, truckloads of evidence that say that that's not true at all. So yeah, what's the next step? We take some time to say, okay, hey, what are some beliefs that I've come to understand from my own experience? Well, what you're asking me to do is to simplify life, is get the great secret of life in as tiny a soundbite as possible. And you can't do that because everybody has to discover their own secret. All right. Well, that's probably a fine transition point. He shares with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring. The most extraordinary people in the world do not have a career or a business. What they have is a mission. And what I mean by this is that you would do the work that you do, even if you didn't get paid. It is your mission. It is your art of living. It is your contribution to the world. And this sums up that idea I said earlier. All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? One of my, my favorite experiments, and this actually has to do with, with what we were talking about earlier, that positive states, that positive emotions amplify your productivity at work. Shoshone Aker did an experiment. I believe it was at the company First National. The, uh, the CEO, Gary Baker, he said, was not a numbers guy. And, and Sean wanted to suggest to Gary Baker that if he wanted to transform his company, he needed to do a simple two-minute exercise with all his managers every day. So Gary Baker thought it was a joke, but they decided to try it. Now, this was the two-minute exercise. The managers, when they started their day, would set a timer for two minutes. And in no less and no more than two minutes, they would open up their email and write an email of appreciation to someone else in the company. 
Sean Aker said, anything beyond two minutes is too much of an obligation. Less than two minutes is ideally too short. So, you know, Shelly might write an email to Tom and say, hey, Tom, just wanted to appreciate you for the wonderful idea you gave me last night and helping me improve my keynote presentation. That's it. Now, what they found is that in one year, in one year, the company started to go through like a radical transformation. Uh, they went from 650 million in revenue to 950 million in revenue with no new headcount. The number of job applications went up 237%. All of this because employees were spending two minutes a day appreciating each other. And it goes to show that emotions and our states of bliss really have a massive impact on our job. Sean Aker said, what was going on is that as you appreciated someone, you were actually practicing a form of gratitude. You were recognizing elegance, beauty, like great work. And then when they replied, you were getting another dose of happiness because you are being recognized for appreciating someone. It's a beautiful cycle. But that surge in positivity that it caused within an organization was transformative for Gary Baker's company. And this is probably the most, one of the most interesting studies I've come across. I wrote about it extensively in my book, The Buddha and the Bat. And how about a favorite book? I'm holding it up right now. The Poetry of Rumi. All right. Thank you. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job. Airtable. I got, I, you got to oh, yeah. love Airtable. It's a no-code coding software. It allows me to build any application I want to make myself more efficient in any way. Mm -hmm. And a favorite habit? Well, taking uh, supplements every morning, but also meditating to the six-phase meditation, which is um, a meditation process uh, I pioneered. There's going to be a book coming out on it. It's a meditation process used by super performers in, in just about every feeling. And it's about retraining your brain to operate in that state, that dance between vision and bliss. It's called mm -hmm. the six-phase meditation. You can find it on Mindvalley or you can Google it. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, and not to go too deep down this one, I'm sure we have a full episode on supplements, but give us the hit list, top daily supplements that Vision so, swears by. Magnesium to help you go to bed, right? I believe in healthy sleep. 5-HTP, wonderful in the morning. All right. Thank you. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for? People quote back to you frequently and ascribe to you? People love some of the words I created to help us navigate the world. Words like rules, consciousness engineering, all of these you'll probably find in my book. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Follow me on Instagram, at vision, V-I-S-H-E-N, or uh, go to mindvalley.com, M-I-N-D-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? The most important thing you can do, which will transform your life, transform your job, is to get a Mindvalley membership. It will just freaking change your life. Go check it out. All right, Vision, this has been a treat. Thanks so much, and I wish you lots of luck in your growth adventures. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really dig those two ingredients there because I love awesomeness. Awe towards a future vision and awe towards the journey. I think that really is a pretty darn good framework there in terms of if you're really jazzed about the future that you're creating, it's exciting you, and you're digging the process, the steps by which you're getting there, that's just a good time. That's just a good time. I think of so many examples. I mean, fitness is coming to mind right now because I am kind of getting some gains right now and it feels good. And it took a little bit of, of fine tuning there in terms of getting excited about something because I'm not looking to be a bodybuilder with a rippling eight pack anymore. 
<laughs> That's long gone. I've got sort of the dad bod. But I am really digging sort of the discipline, the determination, the the focus, the aliveness that the exercise is producing for me. And I'm excited about being that kind of person. So that's getting me jazzed. So I've, I, I kind of retooled kind of the, the future vision of, of what that's about. And then the journey in terms of finding things that I'm really digging to get me there. So got this bench at home and some dumbbells and I'm just finding that groove and having a lot of fun with it. And for the cardio, if you're kind of cooped up with some things closed, I've been having some fun with uh, doing some virtual reality boxing and beat sabering. It is just a whole lot of fun and engaging in that way. So yeah, and that has changed everything as opposed to I should work out because I don't want to be fat. Wasn't really doing it for me. So cool perspectives from vision, two ingredients, all for the future vision, all towards the journey. Good stuff. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP646. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.